Welcome to episode 62 of Paper Talk, a monthly series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the field of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat and Paper Making Masterclasses here in the studio, and I teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today, I'm talking with Eugenie Barron, a papermaker who lives in upstate New York. I first met Eugenie when we worked together on a papermaking program for school kids in New York City in the early 1990s. Eugenie tells me how she got into papermaking when she saw an exhibition of handmade paper art on a trip to UC Santa Barbara in the late 1970s. She was so inspired by the work that she tracked down the students and asked them for their handouts. Soon afterwards, she discovered the work of Douglas Howell in a book by Vance Studley, contacted Howell, and went to work with him for a week on Long Island. After that experience, she decided to move to New York and began setting up her own studio. We discussed the work she's done with the Women's Studio Workshop, how she has been documenting Douglas Howell's legacy, and our joint interest in high shrinkage fibers. Enjoy our conversation. Well, Eugenie Barron, welcome to Paper Talk. It's so fun to see you. Yes, it's yeah. great. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. We met in New York City when I was working at Dudonay and uh, a long time ago. And we were just chatting before we got on. I think we saw each other within the last 10 years when I was in New York one time. Yeah. So I want to hear all about your life with paper. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up and college? Well, I grew up in Missouri uh -huh. and uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And then I went um, away to college at the University of Missouri in uh, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, I was an art student there. And uh, I, study, I was studying about, after my first year, I started to uh, study piano tuning. And it was kind of a fluke, the way I got involved in it. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been not only a paper maker, but a piano tuner. Right. And so did you do the piano tuning at, through school also? Well, it was or a fluke. I just, like, called all these pianos and wanted to learn. And uh, all these piano tuners. And one of them offered to teach me, but I was still in school, so I didn't learn completely how to be a piano tuner. And I went back to school. I was it was during summer break when I was in home for summer break, mm -hmm. and it was just kind of a crazy thing I did. Did I you play the piano? Yeah, I did. I did. played by ear, but I'm not musically trained. Very, right. you know, not seriously. Uh huh. And. Uh, so he kind of gave me a little certificate, and I went back to school, and I'm taking my art courses, and I went to my friend's house and messed up her piano and took it apart and put it, get it back together. Oh. Um, and so I had to humiliate myself and call a tuner at school, and he came, and he told me I should be learning, continuing to learn, so that's what I did while I was in art school. Oh. And, uh, but within like three or four years, I was... I was tuning 
and I was making a decent living. Um, he took me out with him and got me my first gigs, and you know, I just started doing it. So it was an easier way to make a living than trying to teach art in public schools, that's for sure. Uh -huh. But, uh, but, um, now I have a question. Is, yeah. um, I meant to look this up, but is Columbia, is that where Joe Steely teaches paper I making? Think, I think so. She probably wasn't yeah. there when you were in school. No, that was later. She's, yeah. I think she's younger than me. But, uh, and she's retired yeah. now, I believe, but yeah. she had a big paper program there. And I think it still lives on. Well, I left there in, uh, in 74 and went to Nashville. And I was doing artwork and tuning a lot of pianos there. And uh, I went to, the way I got started in paper making is that I uh, went out to visit my friend at UCSB in California. And she was doing graduate work there. And they had this show, um, student show, like, yeah. paper arch. Uh -huh. um, and this was in like 77. Okay. And so paper wasn't a big thing yet. Right. And I saw that thing and I was like, yeah, this is it. I want to do this. So I ran around um, campus looking for all the people in the show, all the students. Oh. I went to their studios and begged them for their notes. They thought it was great. They did. They really. You know, yeah. And what bad. had you been doing in, in art school? What medium had you been doing? I was primarily a watercolor. Okay. Um, I did a lot of drawing, but mostly watercolor. Okay. And I wasn't seriously, I just, I was stumped at this point. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, I loved doing it, but I wasn't really pursuing it very much. You know? Right. And I was also uh, trying to develop my tuning business. So, yeah. And it was hard for a woman back then. There weren't women piano tuners back then. So that was fun. Oh. Um, <laughs> out of, <laughs> It was pretty wild. And then, especially in Nashville, because it was a music center, right. center for music. Um, Is that why you went to Nashville? For no, the music? I went to Nashville. No, I went to Nashville because my boyfriend was studying uh, to be a doctor at Vanderbilt University. Okay. He asked me to go with him. And so I had to go there and try to start a new business and, you know, yeah. make friends there. Uh huh. It was great, you know. Right. So right. then, so you saw paper. I saw the show. Yeah. Got the notes from these um, students and then went back to Nashville and started getting the equipment together. You know, I, I found this big bat thing that was a big tub. And right. I made my own molds and decals and I wow. contacted Howie and, and Catherine Clark and got linters and started. Twin rocker. Uh -huh. Yeah. So you just, they weren't selling them yet. They were selling lenters. Oh, they you could were buy lenters. Yeah, they already had their business. Okay. Yeah, I think it was seventy, mm -hmm. maybe okay. seventy-eight, but seventy-seven. Okay. Was when I went to UCSB. So it might have been right. seventy. Who was teaching at UCSB? Do you know? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. You know, I just saw the. Sh I didn't right. go to the teacher. I should have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a lot, you know. Yeah, you I were a kid, anyway. and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a good good thought, but I didn't think of it. I just went to each students right looked at their work and said i gotta go find it mm -hmm. so um so then i found vance dudley's book okay and that's how i became 
uh, introduced to Douglas. I saw Doug, there was a little blurb on him in there about Douglas Howe. Okay. So I wrote him a letter and said, I'd like to study, blah, blah, blah. And he gave me like this week-long week workshop. So, so you went uh, from Nashville to yeah, Long Island? Just, yeah, just for a week. Okay. And it was harrowing. I mean, you know, just because it's way out on the end of the island, too. Uh-huh. You know, uh -huh. it's not, I went to the city and had a blast, you know, for a week. And then uh -huh. I went out to the island. Um, but then when I left, it was like, I was totally changed because Douglas, that was the first time I ever saw Beater, for example. And just, he was doing really heavy duty research on flax. Mm -hmm. He'd make me sit there, you know, down there with that beater going all day long. And he'd have me writing, you know, taking notes and testing. Oh, it was great, but it yeah. was really intense. heavy duty. Yeah. yeah intense. Yeah. And so I went back to Nashville and um, I didn't know what to do, but then I decided I was going to move to New York and try to continue to study with him. Uh -huh. But I didn't, but there was no way I was going to live on Long Island, you know, way uh -huh. out on the end of the island. So I moved to the city and got a job with Baldwin Piano Company. Okay. Um, and they gave me tunes all over the city and an apartment. And then I started going out to Douglas's like on weekends. And, you know, just would work with him, study mm -hmm. with him, make paper and help him in his studio. And, just for years. Oh, okay. Um, not every weekend. The first right. it was a lot. The first yeah. it was a lot. Mm -hmm. and then I met my husband, um, who built me all my equipment. I mean, he was a genius. Oh. He, he built, I should send you a picture of the blue. Yeah. So, have you ever seen it? It was a, he built it from plexiglass. Uh-huh. He found, he found half the stuff on the street. You know the met the legs and the right. wheels and and it was very precision. Or he did it from photographs. That, that oh, I he took, didn't go uh, out Douglas's there with you. I no, I told oh. Douglas I would, he didn't go out there till later. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe he had been out there because he took a lot of photos of Douglas. Uh -huh. Beautiful photography. But anyway, he Douglas didn't believe me uh -huh. that I was building this, but he thought it was a joke. Uh-huh. Until I, you know, took pictures and showed him. He was really, he was really thrilled. You know? Yeah. So um, where was, where was your studio? You were living in New York City? Yeah. I was just in my little garage. Okay. Know? We had a rented a house and I had a garage. And all this stuff out. What part of New York City? I was in Queens by Queens. then. Okay. But she couldn't have a garage. Yeah. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. You know, I couldn't afford it. I actually, we might have been able to afford a loft, but that was before he got a garage. So anyway. Um, so what was your husband's name? Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan, okay. So he built the beater? Built, he built me beautiful molds, molds. and decals. Uh-huh. Yeah, just, he didn't build me a bat. Okay. He had bats. I mean, he just made them. I don't remember. Right. Well, maybe these big plastic tubs. Yeah, we got big plastic tubs mm -hmm. from the kitchen places down on Canal Street. Okay, right. And that's where I got my baths. Um, so, you know, and then 
started making pain. And then I went, but when I was still in the city, there were a couple of years that I was still in the city mm-hmm. before he made me all that stuff. And I would go around and collect linen. It was such a great time to be in New York mm-hmm. because it was so different. Right. Right. Yeah. Where would you go collect linen? I would just go to these um, thrift shops and stuff. Okay. You could get a giant garbage bag of linen, beautiful damask, just tons of them, throw them in a bag and pay the guy $20. Oh, wow. People. You know, so I collected a lot of linen. Mm-hmm. I collected paper samples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so what was your interest? I mean, you worked with Douglas all this time. I think he worked a lot with flax and linen. Um, yeah were you kind of going in a direction seeking to make the perfect sheet or artwork or I didn't start doing, I did more art in the paper making when I was back in Nashville, but it was okay. baby art. It was just, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was mostly making sheets and mm-hmm. learning how to make paper and just, mm-hmm. I did batch after batch and batch and I did logs like he did. Um, I give it to people to use. I do minor things but I wasn't doing that much art. Um, I started teaching. Oh, I went to Oxbow and met a lot of other oh right people in the field. That was where I met um I met Tim uh Tim Barrett. Right. He was he he hadn't even gone to school you know to science school. Paper right. science school yet. Right. He had just come back from Japan. Right. So this was at and the paper and book intensive. Yeah. Was it the first one? It was in, I think it was 81. I'm not sure. It might've been the, it might've been the first one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Walter Hammity was there. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's where I met Kathy and Howie Clark. Right. I bought a press from Howie Clark at that time. Oh, Um, do you still have that? No, I I gave it to, or I sold it to Anne Marie Kennedy because I Uh shut down my studio about four years. Okay. So well, do you, what number was it? Because I have number six. Oh, I don't know. Oh. But well, it was one of the last ones that he did, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. I don't remember what year. Okay. You know. Yeah, I don't um, know what year mine is either. Yeah. But great, great. Yeah. Place. And so I, I, you know, at Oxbow, I met Winifred and Amanda. Started healing my oats. And then I was working in the city, started working in the t- city teaching. And I met, okay. uh, I went to Crosby street and met Paul and Mina when she was first, this is in the eighties. This is before I met you. At they were on Crosby. Yeah. They yeah. were on Crosby. Street. Yeah. Yeah. I worked uh, there too. Yeah. Oh, I came there about two years after Mina. So yeah. Two or three. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And how many years, how many years were you an intern? I was an intern only for a couple of months, but I worked there for six years. Yeah. Oh, were you an intern? No. Did you help out there? Okay. No, I didn't. No, no. Okay. I just taught classes there later and uh, we met with responsive hands, I think. Didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was working there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you were always tuning pianos to make your living. But you, yes. you also, you really loved paper and kind of just wanted to spread the word. So 
Well, yeah. Why did you get into teaching children? Was that through responsive hands or was that later? It was or earlier. Well, yeah. actually I had taught, I actually had taught a little workshop when I was back in Tennessee before ever. Uh-huh. It was a six week program. I can't believe I had the guts to do that. Uh-huh. I didn't know, you know, I just did it. Right. Um, but they loved it, you know, and it was in a, in the public schools in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was just with cotton winners and that kind of, you know, it was, yeah, it was just right. a program I developed on my own. Um, okay. And, then, and that's similar to Responsive Hands was a um, outreach program. We would go into the public schools, schlep everything on I know, the that was subway. Horrible. Oh, my I God. I can't believe I did that for 12 <laughs> years. <laughs> and then do a, a one-hour or two-hour workshop and then clean up and bring it all back. What a yeah. chore. Thank God. Judy and made the poll. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, later when I worked for Arts Connection, I had to. Make you had to do that. But, yeah. But uh, it was great. And we did wow. that garden project. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit. I think about it was that. two PS two thirty. I think it's PS two thirty four. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yeah, I dreamt up this program that um, it would be cool to have kids make grow plants and then learn how to make paper from those plants and I think you had a lot of gardening expertise is that right yeah because I yeah. that was when I was in Queens and I had a house and a girl, right, you know right. to do my paper and I was a gardener forever yeah and I really didn't know that much about plants so yeah we collaborated and there were a couple other artists and yeah it was a year-long program we got funding from the New York yeah. State Council on the Arts and then I think I, we had cat, did we even have cat too did we put cattail on? We might have, yeah. I think I so. know we put yucca and right. I, we put my grand my grandmother's iris in the surf. Oh iris. You know, yeah, yeah. I've been carrying carrying with me for all those years. Everywhere I went, I took my grandma's iris. Yeah. But you were always better with uh, plant fibers. You know, I you're better you're better with the plant fibers. <laughs> I just always kind of stuck to linen. To linen, right. Blacks and honey. right. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, that was super fun. Um, yeah. yeah, and so did you? So did you work with Douglas all the way until he died, or did he stop making paper? I don't. He really stopped know. making. I can't remember what year he left Riverhead. Okay, you know, but it was probably in the late eighties. Uh huh. You know, I'm not sure. He died. I think in '94. Yeah, that sounds and right. So. He lived in New Jersey for at least five years before okay. he died. So I'm assuming it was the end of the 80s when he closed down his shop. His son came and got a lot of the tools, equipment. His daughter took the art. Mm -hmm. um, I helped Douglas for like five months, pack up all everything. Mm. And I wanted to get a beater log with each of his sheets of papers because he had all the papers packs of paper that he did they were separately bagged oh. but he didn't have the paper matched to the beater logs okay so let's talk a little bit about those beater logs so he was meticulous with his note taking and testing oh yeah so mm -hmm. he he had a beater log of every single batch that he beat and so you're saying he made a sample sheet from each batch yeah and they were separate from the logs and you wanted to put them together yeah he had stacks of logs 
right. stacks of paper, but he had never actually, he had the-, the He um, labeled them. He, he had the, um, yeah, the bags had one number. He had a bag of 50 sheets of paper, and it just had the, he, the way he did a log is he oh, would year. put 01, if it was January 1st, it would be 01 something something, you know, the date. And so mm -hmm. it was just a number in all these bags for all these years. Oh, wow. But he never stuck, he just never stuck the actual piece of paper with an actual log. Right. He kept the sample of the fiber on each log. He always stayed uh -huh. mm -hmm. You know, if it was linen, if it was a bunch of flax, if it was hemp, whatever. Right. right. But he just did, hadn't matched that paper to Okay. So we worked on that as a project right before he left. Uh-huh. Uh, and I didn't do them all. Mm -hmm. I did. We did a significant, uh, what I thought was a representative sample of his papers. I see. Especially yeah. for what the reasons why he did the law was mm -hmm. to show the differing uses of the paper depending on how long you beat the fiber and all that. So, right. We got so, a representative. So that is somewhere now. Yes. Yeah. And about how many samples? 50? No, or at least. No, I think there's only maybe 30. 30. Uh huh. Um, mm. He made more paper than that. Yes. That was all I got done. Yeah. Right. But I did. Uh, yeah. You know, they were represent, right. representative. And then I, I purchased a lot of his papers and a couple of his artworks. Mm hmm. Um, so Do you have I any of his light small. light work with what did he call his light? Oh, you mean um, wait, self illuminated sculptures? Yeah. Is that because I think you asked me about that? Or no? Yeah, well, I'm the, interested in the, paper uh, and light. Right. And <laughs> it, it was, was on Elizabeth your, King's yeah. podcast. So there's a yeah. listeners. There's an an episode uh, where I interviewed the daughter of Douglas Howell, Elizabeth King, that you yeah. can look at. Yeah, listen to. But you're talking about the papers that he did where you, he made well, I don't boxes. know. I've only read about them. I haven't seen anything. So I'm, oh, I'm just I've trying got photos, to. I should You've got photos? Okay, okay yeah. I'd love it's to see slides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those were just like from his paper trees and stuff. They were his artworks. You didn't need to illuminate them, mm -hmm. but you could. Right. And then he did sculptures, which he also, that, he also called those. I don't know why. Okay. He right. didn't shine lights on the sculptures or anything. They just uh -huh. stood, you know, right. and they right. were paper, they were dipped mm -hmm. in pulp. Rope, mm -hmm. sticks, ropes, he made these forms and they dipped them into the pulp. Right. And then they would stand on a pedestal. Uh huh. So was, those were his earliest, some of his earliest sculpture. Uh huh. Oh, right. And I, wanna, I want you to talk about Green Box. Because I think you, you kind of took that further after his original. So tell me what it is, and then the whole. Okay. Um, when Douglas was teaching in the fifties and sixties, he would lecture around the country mm -hmm. and you know go to universities and stuff. And he carried this, or he ship it. He, uh -huh. he didn't even have to go with it. We'd send it to a library, or and uh, he called it his green box, and they were. I think there were 20 panels and they had different types of paper. Some of them with the, like if it was a flax 
he would show the sample of the flax and right. describe, I think maybe they haven't, I haven't seen them in so long. I think mm -hmm. he would include, some of them he included a beater log and then he'd do his artwork. He had a lot of his fencing four sheets. Mm -hmm. um, he'd put one on a panel and describe it out. And they could show these, in, you know, in, in bookcases. In, in, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the libraries. And was it actually... In the glass cases. Was the box green that it shipped in? Yes, was, that's okay. why he called it the green okay. box. Okay. Nicole Donnelly thought it was a take on uh, Duchamp, but it wasn't. Oh, okay. Nicole Donnelly asked me all about this, you know, when she was writing about Douglas. Right, and, so Nicole know, Donnelly, Nicole so. Donnelly wrote uh, an essay called Papermaker's Tears, or in the book. For the book *Papermaker's Tears*, and she has a—I think there'll be a second, a second, a follow-up to her first essay in another book. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of a decent description, I think, of the green box in in that essay. Mm -hmm. um, but he just used it as a teaching tool, mm -hmm. and then I don't know—I got a bee in my bonnet. I don't mm -hmm. know in the '90s. Um, and said, you know, I want to do one of these. I want to do another one because nobody, you know, there's not a lot of information out there about Douglas. And so I took a lot of the sheets that and things that I purchased from him mm -hmm. and made panels. I made 10 panels, I made 10 photographs, and I black and whites. Really, well, I didn't make any. Yeah. Michael took the photo, but um, they were beautiful print, prints um, of his shop his beaters, his equipment, a portrait of him, and uh, his testing, his press, his Washington Hands press, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then, there, so there were 10 panels with descriptions on what they were. I did one on printing, his, some of his printing papers. I did one called Gems, which were these, they were kind of like these illuminated Mm -hmm. Small paper trees. They were small, eight mm. by eleven. Mm -hmm. They were some of the most beautiful papers I think we ever made. Um, and there was one on flax, you know, on flax papers, book papers. So I picked ten topics and made a panel. Okay. And then I had ten artworks. So I framed ten. His his family loaned me, I think, two of the artworks for this thing, and then. Um, I had, he didn't want me more than that, but I had about six or seven of his small artworks. Um, and so I framed those up and I made a box. The box was great. I was the most proud of that box, how it all fit together. Yeah. And, and this was green box too. Is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah. I called it green box too. You okay. know, it's kind of an homage. Yeah. And, uh, Mina at Judenay kind of helped me promote it by getting it shown at uh, the Minnesota Center for the Book and Paper. Okay. No, Columbia, yes. Yeah. Went to Columbia Book and Paper. In Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. And then and I then went Minnesota. to Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And then it was shown at uh, the Book and Pub Public Library when Judene, I think it was their 25th anniversary. Okay. Everybody went to New York. Uh-huh. So she helped me get that to travel a bit. Right. And, you know, so now I have to figure out what to do with it. Right. <laughs> so you, it. 
you still have yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Hey, listeners, let's take a little break here, and I want to tell you about the Paper Advisor, a place where you can discover my most popular papermaking and papercraft resources, including information about tools and supplies, how-to videos, and paper tips, all in one place. You can also ask the Paper Advisor your paper questions. And best of all, it's free. Find the Paper Advisor by going to HelenHebertStudio.com and looking for the free Paper Advisor link in the upper right-hand corner. Now back to the episode. All right, and I know at some point you you started working with the Women's Studio Workshop. Was that when you moved upstate or? No, I was working with Women's Studio really early. Um, they, they, they started in very early. They started making paper, I think in 1978 or something, Mm -hmm. very before the eighties. And they were using lynchers and doing, you know, using them for books, their own books. Um, and they asked me to teach a workshop, uh, in 83. It's like one of their first outside instructors to do paper making. Oh, it was a hoot. Uh, because I was, you know, I, I had, I wanted to be really comprehensive, uh-huh. but not, in, you, you can't, I didn't know, you can't do what I was trying to do in one weekend. You just can't. I mean, right. I was like, you know, trying to t- teach them about flax and yeah. thank God for handouts because, you know, all the information I had, I had made handouts. So at least I oh, gave okay. them the information. I didn't feel bad that they didn't learn everything in that workshop because uh-huh. um, they wanted to get at the vet. Everybody, right. the first time people are introduced to paper, they don't care about all the science. Right. They just care about right. They want their hands in that pulp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but it was a good workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I teach there every once in a while. And then they gave me this uh, uh, residency. It was it was a combination. Um, they do you know about our farm? I mean, they had a huge farm where they grew fibers. And yeah, I've read about it, but that okay. started probably in the late nineties or mid nineties. It was it was probably around ninety six, but I can't be sure. Okay, I know that I worked with them with the art. It might have even been later. But I know I worked with them maybe in 2003 or 2001. We did this project. But they had been growing for a while. Okay, so and it's a farm on their it's property. It's just a plot. It it's was a, a plot, plot of land with paper-making yeah. fibers. Yeah, and they grew yeah. flax. They grew, grew a lot of grass. Canaf and different yeah. fibers. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so um, what was your project with them? Well... What we did is we did the beater log thing where they, they would make samples. And so they made samples of all these papers. And I didn't make every batch of paper. Right. You know, I just kind of consulted and we, I'd go up there once in a while and we'd work at the beater and I'd work with them. And then, so they got a lot of samples of the different papers mm-hmm. that they did. Bamboo, mm-hmm. Canthus, um, just all those fibers, you know. Um, yeah. And then um, they had an artist residency 
to have me assist these artists to do their own work with these fibers. So we had a lot of fiber already prepared before uh -huh. we started uh -huh. each week long residency with three separate fibers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was. And so we weeks. just had tons yeah. of pulp, and we would be, still be making pulp while we were working. Right. And uh, one of one of them was a printer. Um, Alice Knowles was an artist there. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so I worked for three weeks doing that, and then eventually there was a show mm -hmm. uh, at Marist College. So it was a pretty comprehensive program. So I want to just hear a little bit about how you approached working with those artists. Like, did they come in beforehand and sort of do a consultation and you show them? No. 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 So they just came yeah. and you must have showed them then what's, like, how do they choose which fiber to work with or? Well, you know? like Allison and I had been working for years. Okay. So she, it was just a way for us to work with this Right. We didn't even know when we got there. She just, I just said, Allison, bring your stuff. We'll figure it out while we're there. And to have uh, WSW had a bigger press. And that was really nice. And they had the mm. giant vacuum tape, mm -hmm. which was great. So Allison and I were able to do better work, some better work, or more just technical things that we couldn't do in my studio. Got it. Um, and. Um, Talia Barral was a, she's, was a jeweler who did, she'd been working in paper mm -hmm. and she was a sculptor and she came with an overwhelming um, set of ideas mm -hmm. and things that she wanted to do and they were, we needed a month to do right. what she wanted, right. but boy, somehow we pulled we pulled a lot. We were, some of them were large sculptures, uh -huh. you know, where we had to dip and bend and, you know, so. Um, and then Ken, the other artist, he was a printer. So we did a lot. So it was very different, three diverse weeks. One sculpt, much more sculptural. Allison's was a lot of flat work, but big. Mm -hmm. And then print, working in print and laminations and stuff like that. Right. So there were three divergent really types yeah. of work. You know? Cool. Yeah. And so, was that the only time Women's Studio Workshop did that? Or do they, was well, that you know, like they, a continuum? They allow artists to come and work there. They'll give you a, a Do residencies. Long. Right. Yeah. So I think it's the only time with art form for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. But they're, they change their programs. They're, yeah. They're an yeah. incredible place. I mean, it's just a great, it's oh, a yeah. refuge. I've taught there too. It's in Rosendale, New York. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it is a refuge. It's a really mm -hmm. fun place. They have an apartment for instructors to stay in. I mean, I haven't been there in a long time. It's probably changed yeah. a bit. They sell um, great food. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good, good place. So how did you move upstate? Because I remember when I was working at Dudonay, which was 91 to 96 or 7, uh, I, I went up to Barrytown. You had a studio there. Okay. Well, that's how I met Alice. 
Right, because she lived right. I remember I met Dick Higgins, her husband, when I went up to your studio once, but I think Allison wasn't there or something. Well, yeah. you might have come the first year that I was Maybe. there because it was really odd how it happened. Uh, Anne Marie Kennedy, mm-hmm. I met her at WSW. She assisted me with some, some class or something. Okay. And she hadn't gone to Iowa yet. Um, okay. She, right. She, she knew, she had met Allison and she said, I know this woman with this studio and she's looking to rent it. So it was Allison's studio that you came to. Okay. And I just rented it for the summer. Oh, okay. And then sight unseen, we hadn't even met. We uh-huh. just did this over the phone. I uh-huh. sent her a check, you right. know, here's some right. money. Yeah. And I, and for three months and I just went up there and started, I didn't take my beater. Up. I just took vats and things. And she had a vacuum. She had a gorgeous vacuum. Table. I forgot about that. Wow. Oh. That was a great table. Right. And uh, so, wow. Now I'm so you just went up anyway. there to do. Yeah. My paper work for the summer. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she came back mm-hmm. and she saw what I was doing. Uh-huh. And, she, you know, we worked it out. And I moved my paper making. And we, she had an extra room. So sometimes we were there. I see. At her studio together. Right. But many times she was off in Europe or right. in the summer, especially. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go much in the winter. It was a little bit cold. Um, okay. So that's how I started working with her. If she was there, we'd do work. Right. And then if she wasn't, I'd do my own work, you know. But it was a beautiful place, right on along the Hudson River. Just yeah, right. Gorgeous. Uh-huh. And it was primitive in a lot of ways, but it was. And Dick lived in the big church next door. And, right. You know, he was a fluxus. They were fluxus people. And, you know, it was like a compound. Uh huh. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It was really cool. Uh huh. And then that then. So I did that for about five years or six okay. years. Okay. And then I bought a house upstate right after 9-11. Okay. So I had an apartment in the city mm-hmm. and a house upstate. So I moved my studio to my house upstate in Durham. Okay. Yeah, up right. in the mountains. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever came here. No. Um, and then Allison would come there to work with me through the okay. years. Until okay. Till I moved, you know, till I shut it down. But, and all this um, time, you would still go back to New York, and you had piano tuning jobs. Yes. You're still doing that? Yes. <laughs> well, now that COVID, I mean, well, March eighth, right. March eighth, everybody at NYU were running around rubbing their hands with, uh, you know, they yeah. goofed. And I, I have always cleaned the keys with alcohol mm-hmm. before I tune because these students get. The flu all the time. So, right. But I mean, March 8th, it was really creepy. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was my last tuning job for okay. a concert. And I came home, and then all of a sudden I get a call well, we're shut down. So, COVID-19. all my tools and parts and everything's still down there. Mm-hmm. They haven't opened up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a, a fancy billionaire club that I do for them. Four big pianos, like they shut down, everything right. shut down, you know. So it's it's what it is. It is, you know? it is. Yeah. Wow. I miss tuning. I miss tuning a lot. 
uh-huh it breaks my heart right do you do you feel like uh is there any relationship between paper making and tuning pianos that you yeah there you know you know when you're pulling sheets and you get uh-huh. into this yeah state mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're not necessarily doing art yet or right you, it's more of a craft it is a craft so mm-hmm. it's piano tuning. right and but there's this wonderful it's not it's just yeah doing you zone it's out and doing, you're just yes. making uh-huh mm-hmm well, when I work on pianos, it's like it's that. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I've been doing it so long; I can almost do it in my sleep. Yeah. You know, just you know, and you meet people, but it's a loner. It's it's a loner mm-hmm. trade. You know, mm-hmm. it's social, but it's not. Right. Right. You know. Right. 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 Uh, and what led to your decision to close your studio? Well, I just physically, mm-hmm. physi- I'm 68. Mm-hmm. Physically, I have issues mm-hmm. with lifting right. buckets on the wall. And I could hire an assistant if I really wanted to. I'm sure there's somebody that would help me, you know, but I just, I'm been, I, I just yeah. kind of decided if I was going to still make some money while I retired. I would prefer to tune pianos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gave me a way to get back to the city, go back into the city. And keep so you like the work. city? Well, I like it in small batches. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. I, I love having my windows open and the birds. Right. I love small town. It's great. I live right, you know, a block away from the Hudson River. So yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'd want to retire in New York City. Right. Yeah. You know. So you said you sold your equipment to Anne Marie Kennedy? No, or I just some of it, just press the press. Her. Do you yeah, have yeah. anything still? Yeah, I have, you still money. have your beater. Um, I'm de- I still have my beater. I'm probably gonna sell it, but I haven't tried. Mm-hmm. Um I gave Mina this crazy vacuum table that I made um she was here we went to we visited WSW and she came by and I just wanted her to have this table because I know she's starting up she's setting up a studio. you know uh-huh. yeah so mm-hmm. um but I haven't tried to do anything you know I've been working with Douglas's son Timothy um to try to figure out what to do with his archive Oh, good. Because I have a lot of notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Timothy has his, a lot of his archives in his mm-hmm. paper. Mm-hmm. And we kind of did, I did kind of a half-assed digital thing where I, you know, photographed everything and put it on on a thumb drive. Okay. Because I was worried. I mean, nobody had right. seen. That was, again, Nicole Donnelly kind of, when she was asking me questions, she got me feeling like, you know what, you should, you really need to, to do something with this. Right. You know? right. So he sent me a he sent me a computer and I just started working on it. Uh-huh. Douglas Douglas docs, you know. Oh cool. Taking photographs of stuff. And he's been working on it in Wisconsin. 
but we don't know what we're going to do. We can, he has set out, it's really his decision. It's a family's yeah, decision right, what to do. Right. I mean, I have a, a mold of his and, a di- and I have leader number two, but his real work is with his family. Mm-hmm. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, I just tried to write about him once in a while. And, yeah. You know. And what about, do you, do you still do any paper making or no? I haven't for like, I haven't made a sheet of paper in like three years. I did make some here, but it was like out in my garage. You know, I right. set up the beater. Allison actually came here and did a whole body of work, come to think of it, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But it isn't like having your studio really set up. It's out in my garage. Right, right. So, I, I haven't missed it that much. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. I miss the people. That's what I miss. Right. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh. But I don't miss doing my work. I did a lot of work for a while. Um, mm-hmm. 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 And you seem very interested in uh, the scientific parts of paper making. Do you think does that come from your own nature, or was that due to Douglas? Oh, forget it. I mean, <laughs> as a piano tuner, I am scientific, and I have to be. You have to right. know how to use tools. Some of the precision mem- um, you eighths, sixteenths of an inch. You have to measure things. It's all mathematical. Right. But really, once you do it, it's just part of your psyche. Uh-huh. You, know, you just, once you learn how to do something. Right. Um, but so, and, and I was never really that well-versed. I mean, I could have studied acoustics more. I could have studied music more. I really just know sound theory. Mm-hmm. I'm not a not a great musician or anything like that. I just am really good at hearing right. and tuning right. and touch, the touch, the way a piano plays, how hard, key, you know, the whole action regulation. So yeah, that's really scientific, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a practice just like paper, you know, the craft part. Um, right, right. Yeah, I can see that. So you can kind of feel, I bet you could, you can hear or feel the pulp or hear the the tune of the piano and then you and the tone you, and then you measure and you're like oh yeah that's the exact right eight sixteenths or whatever you just said yeah but a lot of it is through feel it's not yeah, really yeah right i mean i don't i mean you can rule. feel it or hear it and then if you measured it it would be exactly right. what it was supposed to be because yeah, you've developed just, that skill mm-hmm. yeah now with paper I think I only, I mean, I'm really glad that uh, there's a scientific um, aspect to hand paper. I think it gives it more validity. I think it's, and for arch, you know, for archival reasons and just mm-hmm. all kinds of reasons. Right, right. Um, but I wouldn't say that I had a bent for that. Okay. I think that was just because I studied with Douglas mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. drilled it in my head. Right, right. He was not going to let me get by. Right, right. Not doing it. Uh-huh. So I just did it, you know, it's just part of my training. So. But I didn't right. care that much. And that's, it wasn't why I went to study. I just saw his paper and I was like, oh my God. It's like a treasure trove in this 
right. first time I walked into his, he was like, oh, my, you know, because he, he was doing a lot of art all through those years, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he, there mm -hmm. were artworks on the walls, and, you know. Right, right. Did, did you ever go to his, did you ever come out to Riverhead? When he was I have this image in my head. No, I don't think I did. I have this picture in my head of like walking down the stairs, but I think it was a picture I saw. I do not think I went. Because I know Paul and Nina went. And I, I know Sue Gosen traveled. I don't think she went out with me, but. Uh, it's, it could be went. that I went with somebody. It could be. Yeah. You um, might have. I mean. I took a bunch of people there just to meet him. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I know I never met him. I didn't meet him. Um, cool. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'd remember. <laughs> he was eccentric. Uh, to say the least. So let's just wrap up with a little bit about, um, your own artwork and sort of what, what you've done with paper. Well, I always liked the sculptural. Mm -hmm. Even though I was a painter, I never got involved with pulp painting and print, mm -hmm. you know, using it for books and stuff. I like the three dimensionality. It's a lot like I have kind of the same interest you do. It's about the light and, light. and mm -hmm. shrinkage and mm -hmm. air drying. Mm -hmm. Always loved air drying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, natural shrinkage. Right. But I always did start out, which I've always made my own work by making a post paper to start mm -hmm. and then I would manipulate the pressed sheets okay. to make something sculptural and it right. usually had to do with I didn't have a lot of inclusions mm -hmm. um, I did do a lot of emboss I guess you'd call it embossing into those sheets to give it a uh, textural mm -hmm. or to change the way the light transmitted right um, and then I put them together as components you know Mm -hmm. larger piece you know so they were parts of something right um, and they were pretty organic but they kind of abstractly organic if that makes sense I just mm -hmm. made that up but, mm -hmm. you know they were just they're forms but they're and then they're suggestive but they're not I just love the way the paper draws yeah and they're there's so many surprises you know? Oh, I know. It's like you, it's just you do something and you think one thing's going to happen and then something else happens and then you have that in your toolbox for the next time. Ooh, let's see. Yeah. yeah. But there's so many variables. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what kind of pulp you use too. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And why? Go ahead. I was just going to say the pulps that you, because you, I work with Abaca, but you're working more with linen. And flax or just linen? I worked with linen, I worked with flax, I worked with hemp. Okay. I worked with Abaca for Allison in some of her works that she was gonna tear up. Because <laughs> <laughs> she performs with them. You oh, know, right. and I knew she was only gonna get five performances out of this. Right. And some of her and this the Abaca would be strong, you know, strong enough to do translucent sheets that she could manipulate for sound. So, right, right. so a lot of my Abaca stuff that I made was with Allison. Um, although she, we really did work with flax a lot, uh -huh. a lot. Um, we didn't work with linen very much. Mm -hmm. 
much. I think maybe okay. I did two loads of linen stuff, arm flaps, or I don't know if uh -huh. that makes sense, but she would wear these, she would wear these sheets in her performances. Uh -huh. And uh, head flaps, arm flaps. Right. So, right. Um, well, linen is probably the hardest to process because you have to cut the rag up first and then. Yeah, but I think flax is hard. You think just flax is yeah. yeah, it is tough. Yeah. Um, maybe because I did linen for so long with Douglas. Mm -hmm. You kind of got it down, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Just bring that roll down. Right. <laughs> gradually and gradually. <laughs> um, I'm not a, I wasn't a big cutter. Douglas beat fiber differently than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, and talk a little bit about that. What do you mean? Well, he, a lot of people just bring that roll down. Oh, right. To get high shrinkage pull. Right. And they do it pretty immediately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really noisy. Because mm -hmm. it's cutting. Right. Douglas would gently bring the roll down. Uh-huh. You know, he would, he would change the roll maybe a few turns, you know, every hour. And so it wasn't as loud at some places. <laughs> I've been right. readers, yeah. really cranking out. Um, and it bruised and it bruised the fibers more than it cut the fibers. Right. You know, it just had a different beating. Yeah, um, yeah. And it made strong paper, I know that. Um, right, because it didn't cut it as much. And I remember something, reading something by Winifred Lutz saying that you could get the same result, but the paper's stronger by gradually it lowering it, like you're saying, versus beating it really hard immediately. The two papers um, have a lot of the same properties, but the one is stronger. That makes sense. Well, the, you yeah. can look at them and they look the same, mm -hmm. but if you take them and just try tear. to tear one, one will just tear. Right. And the other one is hard to tear. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. and that's in the beating for sure. I know I have a good question, a question for you that I've noticed with Abaca about a visual thing. So I'll beat it and I always make a test sample, um, like just a little tin can paper making sheet poured and I let it air dry and it'll be translucent. But then if I, uh, sometimes that same batch of pulp, I'll make a sheet and restraint dry it and it's not nearly as translucent. So there's something, do you know, there's something um, where it looks more translucent air dried versus restraint dried? Yeah, wow. I would have thought it would have been the opposite. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. So you have. I don't know. So I have to think about that. Okay. Well, Eugenie Barron, it's been a treat having you on. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Huh? Yeah. And uh, take care. Thank you. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper, featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can sign up at helenhebertstudio.com to receive my e-newsletter. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed it, 
I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps other people find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Paper Talk, where you can find out more about them, subscribe to the series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. I'll talk to you soon. Besides the season.